0: This is Justin Humphreys. Thank you for tuning in to Objection to the Form. That got me fired up for college football. I know really today, I guess, is the the first start to it. I know there were some games over the weekend, but I don't really care about Nebraska and Illinois and some of the teams that we're playing. But tonight we got ECU. So ECU and uh, App State are playing tonight. That'll be exciting. I know uh, Joe's, uh, chant, chant, the Chanticleers are going to be playing, so uh, so the, the the real game start tonight. But uh, a few weeks ago, I did a show about the Coastal Entrepreneur Awards, and it was an event that I was uh, pleased to be able to sponsor and help out with. And today, uh, our guest is Albert Steed, who his company, Al- Hybrid Athlete Foundation, was one of the winners of the Coastal Entrepreneur Awards. So congratulations and welcome.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: So... The category that that you won was internet related services, and I was hoping you could tell everybody kind of about the the Hybrid Athlete Foundation and what you did and kind of how you've been able to grow that company.
1: Yeah, and it was actually kind of funny because we saw the awards come up and we just thought we got on a whim we were like, well, let's put ourselves out there, kind of see what you know what it looks like. We're not really known very well in Wilmington because of what our company does and the scope of what we do, but. We started in 2016. Um, little background was, I tell everybody, I sort of drew the short straw in a friend group of somebody that needed to open a gym. Um, my background is technology, um, software development. So I, I joke and say when the nerd runs a gym, you're going to figure out the technological side of a gym. And our gym was set up to be 24 hours a day. And we did it very traditionally with access key cards um found out really fast that an access key card works really really well in a corporate setting you you don't lose your access key card and if you do you you tell your employer doesn't work so well in a gym setting people lose that card oh, yeah. they would they would maybe tell you two weeks later oh hey by the way i don't have a key card anymore and people have just been letting me in um so you know pretty quickly after we opened it we figured out a way to build our own mobile app to allow people access in and out of the facility and that sort of led us from just the gym and then starting another company, which actually all of my companies have been formed with Justin, so he's been very involved with help me on the legal aspect of those things. But we we started the second company and named it Hybrid Athlete Foundation because the gym was Hybrid Athlete Mission. And we kind of made it as just kind of joke because we liked the acronyms. HAM was the gym's yeah. acronym. Hybrid AF is the uh, the the acronym for the uh, the gym access company.
0: And I think backing into it, you know, when we were talking about entrepreneurship, the way it, it, it came out was that these kind of spun off out of CrossFit, mm-hmm. which, you know, was during that time, I think, when everything started was, was kind of in the, it, the height of its, uh, its run as being kind of one of the, the biggest uh, fitness trends at, at that time. And it's still, you know, there's still a lot of great CrossFit gyms right now. But, you know, one of the big complaints that you would hear is, and I know, like, you know, I fell, fell into that category a little bit as like, well, maybe I don't want to work out on the hour. Right, You know, or, or it's it's difficult to kind of get in a routine of, all right, every day I'll go at, at six o'clock on the dot or whatever time it may be. And that was kind of the, the problem is if you didn't, you know, it's frowned upon to come to class late. And then you know, but it was it was difficult to break routine. So I think what you guys came up with allowed people to do things on their own time. And there was also the end of it of some people just don't really feel like doing a, a a group workout
1: setting. Right. Well, that was really the I guess the nice thing of all the competitions in Crossfits in Wilmington is you you saw more in in our area that and maybe they were leading the 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 pack a little bit was the concept of an open gym. So it was more of the concept of you could do the classes as long as you wanted to, but once you got really proficient, they were okay with you not having to be inside of there with the trainer while other people were doing it as long as there was space. So that was kind of the the gateway of how it started. And then our group was all open gym members. And I tell everybody, like, for most people, CrossFit's kind of a gateway drug in a sense you start out with CrossFit, and the next thing you know, you're looking at Olympic lifting, you're looking at powerlifting, you're looking at strongman. you're looking at triathlon. So it's kind of like that modality that they talk about just like throw lots of different and interesting things and, you know, randomize them together, and it's going to keep it interesting and keep you involved. So, you know, that was really for us was we were all doing different things. So when we had to break off and start our own thing. And it was really the concept for ham was it's all open gym. We're never going to teach a class and you come and go as you want to and train for the goals. And, you know, if you have friends that you're training with, that's great. If you're solo and want to train at 1am by yourself, which we had a member that was an insomniac, she couldn't get to sleep. So 1230, she was like, Hey, instead of sitting in my room, just looking at the ceiling, I'm going to go hang out in the gym and work out for an hour and a half.
0: I think one of the things with with the gym business that becomes difficult is pricing. So I imagine you know you can you can get into a a, a pretty nice gym for for ten dollars a month. You know yeah. I, I would say you know Planet Fitness is a nice nice gym. It's a nice facility. You know and I know there's some things that they won't let you do there. Like there's. Uh, I don't think you're meant to lift from the ground, and right. and there's have you, have or you make ever, noise. Yeah, have you ever uh, seen the lunk alarm go off?
1: <laughs> no, but I've heard about it. So, I, I do have some questions for any gym that incentivizes you with pizza nights and donut nights. Though. Yeah, so, you know that just seems like maybe that's not you know what you're trying to achieve. But you know,
0: if you want a good chuckle, I would say go to YouTube and just search lunk alarm. I mean, it's just classic videos of meatheads losing their mind, like when they're told they can't grunt or or they that they're, they're being kicked out in the middle of their workout you know they're probably pretty deep into the, pre, the pre-workout or whatever it might be <laughs> and then they're telling them look uh, sorry you, you were too loud you're not you're gonna have to end your your session we're gonna cut a little bit short because you're making uh, some of our our people over there eating pizza feel a little uncomfortable oh. in here but uh, but the point wasn't really to um, to kind of dump on Planet Fitness, but it was just to say that that that's a fairly nice facility, you know, that you can get into for ten dollars a month. Or if you want the massage chair, maybe it's like twenty dollars a month. But but so how how do you how are you able to compete if you're not selling classes or training in a way that you can make money?
1: Well, so that that was the issue with my gym, right? Was you know when we first started it, we were in a twelve hundred square foot building in a mixed use facility. And and literally we we got we got thrown out in six weeks. Like we had people in there that were deadlifting five six hundred pounds. They were rattling the entire like yeah. unit, yeah. Um, and and we really thought up front there was only about fifteen or twenty of us, and that was how small this gym was supposed to be. But there was such a a pent up demand for somewhere that was really just come and go at your own pace, have nice equipment. Um, and you know cater to a lower price point you know from that open gym standpoint because there's not as much overhead so we ended up moving after the first 6 weeks of being open to a 4000 uh, square foot standalone building and we attracted a lot of you know police fire ems nurses um coast guard members and then just you know normal you know everyday gym goers that were more seasoned, you know, we'll call them athletes. You know, they were they were multiple years into doing different things. They were maybe following a program that they were buying from somebody else and they just wanted the space. And, you know, it it's an expensive endeavor to try to set that up inside of your garage. So, you know, you start looking at the three to five thousand dollars to do it in your garage and then you're still limited because your garage ceiling's only eight feet. So, you know, maybe you're in a jam-packed, you know, tight space. So our rates were, you know, basically $40 to $60 a month. Um in, you know, most gym situations in like the CrossFit world, that's not enough to really pay the bills. So, you know, when you think about the CrossFit style, where where this all mixes well, and that's where hybrid has been a a a great thing as it's evolved, because originally the thought was maybe we help people set up gyms like my gym. My gym only really worked because there was such a mature athlete base looking for it in Wilmington that, you know, it just worked. And we, we grew to 80, 90 mem- members over a year. Um, but when you look at most gyms, they've got that 20, 30, you know, members that are looking for something different that don't necessarily want to do classes. Maybe, maybe they're a parent and they've got kid activities and, you know, they can't get there for a 6am class but they can get there at 5am to do it on their own so there's lots of reasons why an open gym concept works really well in that functional fitness space and and it's just different like Planet Fitness, a Gold's Gym, O2, Nine Round, you know, all these different things, the appeal is just like, do you find something that works and sticks for you? Like, maybe, you know, CrossFit just seems way too aggressive, and you're happy, you know, like, you just really like to zone out and do a treadmill for an hour. So, I mean, I'm a big advocate of anything that you're doing to stay active. Like, that's more important than what it is. Like, you find if you find something that you genuinely enjoy, like that's where you're going to stick with it. If you're that square peg in a round hole trying to just make this thing work for results, but you don't enjoy it, it's not going to last.
0: One of the difficulties I think with the hybrid model and kind of the 24 hour model has been, well, what's the what's my liability exposure? Mm-hmm. You know, because like we've got people, because you know, in theory, if you're at your, your traditional box gym there's going to be people that are that'll maybe mop the floor mop the sweat up off the floor or if there's a problem with a a machine if a, if a machine's known to be broke they'll they'll put a a sign on it telling people not to use it and that sort of thing how how were you able to to deal with those potential issues with the with the kind of the 24/7 gym model
1: well and when we first started our gym i mean we were we were pretty early in the functional fitness style equipment in a unattended access method. So we I was actually really nervous when we opened the gym that that was going to be the limiting factor of what we can do. And um, with my first insurance policy with a major national carrier, they wouldn't give me full 24-hour access. So they wanted me to shut down for two hours a night, and we shut down from 2 to 4 a.m. Um, and the policy was, for as small as we were, was about $2,200 a year.
0: What was the the – rationale for that was that when you're meant to go in and and like
1: the, clean up they're, or? they're insurance underwriters i'm not sure there's yeah. any rationale that anybody would ever understand it yeah. was just this is what you have to do to do this um and we we ran that policy for about it was it was literally only about two months and then i reached out to another national provider and they came into a policy for me for 360 dollars a year for the same exact million dollar you know per occurrence coverage And, you know, when I was talking to the insurance agent, they really just looked at me and said, look, like you're not running classes. So the level of liability for you as the business owner is a lot less because if you don't have a personal trainer or a coach out there telling people what to do, then if they do get hurt, as long as it's not negligence on your part because you haven't maintained the facility, it's really on them. So, You know, we we as we've learned, and you know, part of the hybrid approach has been. In 2018, we partnered with one of the largest insurance providers in the functional fitness jujitsu sort of space, and we went through writing a best practice document with them on language, like example language for your waiver for unattended access, rules and best practices, checkout procedures for your. Um, athletes before you give them access so we really worked with them and they took that back to the board with all of their underwriters to say look this is what this platform does this is how their app helps them maintain it and every single underwriter they work with got on board and now when we offer our service through us if they go through that provider or a lot of the other providers that now know us well they typically don't pay an increase in premium like they just get that written in Because, you know, the gym owner is responsible for, you know, if if our rigging or a a machine is starting to break and it's not being maintained, they need to take it out of service.
0: And, and, you know, I didn't really think about it, but that kind of makes sense. One of the knocks on CrossFit, I guess, over the years has been people um, that have gotten injured doing it. Um, And and there's a lot of different reasons for it. You know, some have said the competition aspect is, is unhealthy. I don't really buy into that. But, you know, others would say it's, Maybe poor coaching has resulted in a lot of injuries, but it very few injuries in CrossFit were the result of dumbbells right. failing, you know, or, <laughs> or something like that. Because it's you no, know, now I could see it in a big box gym where you've got some machine contraption with cables and cords, and you know, I guess where maybe something snaps if, breaks. Yeah, yeah. But if you're talking about just dumbbells and barbells and weights and you know the kind of stuff kettlebells, the 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 kind of things people are using in a in a CrossFit. The you're probably either going to injure yourself or you're going to receive poor instruction.
1: Well, and I think I think CrossFit, no, no, no. I think CrossFit's just that name that people always associate it to, and it's so much more of than just CrossFit now. Like it's an entire functional uh, functional fitness industry, and and really like if you look at functional fitness where it. When you talk about like a Planet Fitness or the the larger sort of like we'll call them more machine based gyms, the barrier to entry there was really high. Like you know you're talking a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars of equipment. When you start looking at building a functional fitness gym, I equipped a four thousand square foot functional fitness gym for about twenty thousand dollars. So you know what really caused that explosion in the functional fitness was you've got companies like Rogue and some of these others that came in. <laughs> and they were just like hey yeah you want this we'll we'll give it to you and you know you can pay it back over the next 60 months or whatever their payment terms were so this barrier to entry was really low it allowed people that if they weren't satisfied with whatever you know gym situation they were in they could take that passion of theirs and go jump into it which you know it it generated a lot of small business owners but it also generated a lot of people that were passionate about working out but didn't understand how to run a small business so that's why there was this huge explosion of gyms that opened and then you start to see it tailor back down a little bit just because you know you're sometimes your passion and you know the business side they don't really walk together if you've never run them together
0: sure and then there's a lot i mean i guess necessarily the the traits that make you good at working out don't always make you make it good at it being a business owner or a, or, or gym being owner. a coach yeah and that's and i think that's where you know i guess that's what we saw as a lot of a lot of these uh, areas that kind of weeded themselves out and and you know the, the trends have changed and there's um you know it's just different models out there so would you say that the hybrid movement is is kind of something that's that's still gaining steam and i'm not talking about crossfit i mean like what you were saying like with this the the hybrid athlete model
1: yeah, I think that when you, especially like twenty twenty, exposed the need for that, right? So, you you take a look, and we none of us that were you know playing in the the fitness space were sure of what COVID was going to do to the model. And then really, what it all it, it all came down to is just how can people provide access? You know, smaller amounts of access. You know, smaller numbers of people in a facility, but then more timeframes for that facility to be open. So, you know, we've had gyms that, you know, use our access so that, you know, maybe from nine until 1030, they say, look, like this, you know, couple hours of time is for anybody that's truly immunocompromised. Like we only want three or four of you in there and like keep your space from each other. So that model of, you know, increased um, access without having to increase a lot of overhead makes a, a business model that, you know, and, and I tell people all the time, like everybody thinks that, you know, gym owners is like this glamorous thing and they're just making lots and lots of money. Like, they're not. I mean, you have some gyms that are like the big pristine gyms that, you know, maybe they're, they're run by people that are nationally or world ranked or something like that, that they charge these, you know, very high premiums. And they can do that based on the service and their level of accomplishments. But when you start getting down into the, you know, this was my passion, I'm now doing it as a, you know, a job, you know those people are. You know if they're staying in the black at this point, and, you know they're making enough money to put food on their table. Like they're doing pretty well, but they're passionate about helping people.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that's you know that because you mentioned the entry cost, and I was surprised that you're able to to um, outfit a a, a four thousand square foot gym for twenty twenty five thousand dollars. Because I was just thinking just the, the cost of. You buy a, a a Peloton treadmill, what's that like four grand? Yeah. Now I'm sure you can get cheaper ones like in a life cycle or whatever it is, but you know, just when you when you think about putting together enough exercise equipment versus what people are willing to pay, which is typically kind of that that fifty to you know or anywhere from twenty to seventy dollars seems to be kind of the going price for, for working out on your
1: own. Well, but then you go back to, you know, how big are your classes, right? Because you're absolutely right. You know, you start talking about a, a bicycle like a, the stationary bikes inside the gyms we've we've given a couple of ways contests through hybrids to the, to the gym owners and they're about a thousand dollars a bike so you know if now if you're talking about well I want to have 12 people in a class and I want to have a workout that deals with the bicycle now you' need at least maybe six you know, ideally you want to have 12. So, you know, all of those things add up when you start getting bigger and bigger into classes. So you can start a little bit smaller, you know, arrange your workouts and, you know, be flexible to allow people to rotate in on, you know, maybe different minutes and things like that. But at the end of the day, like the larger you grow, the more and more that that, you know, that initial entries can be low, but you're going to have to constantly reinvest in the equipment because, you know, dumbbells don't really, they, they do break a little bit, the the protective color, uh, things break, the bumper plates break. So, I mean, everything, you know, still breaks because it's going through a lot of trauma, you know, with what you're doing. And the bikes, the, the rowers, the, the treadmills, like all of those things go through a massive amount of beating. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. you got to yeah. constantly reinvest in keeping it up and then buying new.
0: Uh, stuff gets knocked around without the lunk alarm there to stop it. So that's, that's definitely for sure. But uh, we're going to take our first break, and then we come back. I want to get into a little bit of uh, what you did at Hi- Hybrid Athlete Foundation, like kind of based upon your experience in the gym industry and, and how you've been able to scale that up. All right. So Albert was doing a very good job of outlining the opportunities and struggles in the gym industry and was able to kind of take an opportunity – and help a lot of businesses in this area and really all over the world um, enhance their market share or kind of go after different types of, of athletes. And so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about kind of the, the, the niche that you found, you know, as far as how, you know, and you were talking about a little bit earlier, but, you know, I kind of want to get into to how you you, know, you came up with the idea and then what you did to market it and really make it a, a success that it is.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean the original. It, it really came from people asking us, "How did you do this here?" So you know, we. De- Wilmington's a destination time. You'd have other gym owners coming into town that knew people from the gym that you know I opened, and I would just I'd give them an access card, and I was like, "Here, have fun. You know, this is the rules of the road. You know, play around. Let me know." And um, they, a few of them came in, and they were just like, "This is really cool. Can you help us do this in our gym?" And that was where Hybrid really sprung off because originally it was just for me. So then we we incorporated, started the new company, started building out the app. And in June of 2016, we launched with my gym, um, and then a gym in Fayetteville and a gym in Goldsboro. And both of those gyms are still part of the, the Hybrid at, you know family of gyms. And you know part of it was part in my career. I did a lot of traveling. So when I worked at PPD um, and then Velocity, I, I was on the road a lot. And one of my, you know, gripes with the functional fitness community was, you know, CrossFit and name is an affiliation program for gyms, but there's really, you know, one of the the great things of how they set it up was that it was laissez-faire, like every gym got to run its own way, but you do enough drop-ins and you buy enough t-shirts and it's like, you know, it'd be really cool if it was like anytime fitness to where as I did travel, maybe I get a discount because I'm a member of another one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember that was the etiquette was that it was it was around twenty dollars for your drop in fee for a one off workout, and then you were meant to to buy a shirt,
1: right? So you know that was that was part of my utopian dream of what hybrid can turn into was not only this system that provides access control, but a an ability for you know these small one off gyms because most of these gyms in the functional fitness space, you have the occasional owner that may own two, three, four gyms, but most of them are sole you know locations, so. The other point of the hybrid, and that's why we call it the foundation, was that you know, we were looking at is every gym joins with us that if another member travels and they stop in at their gym from another that's part of this network, that they'll offer them a discount on the drop-in. So some of our gyms will do it 100% free. They'll just give you a free drop in. Some of the gyms, you know, may charge 50% of their drop in rate. So, you know, it's an extra feature and benefit now that allows these smaller gyms to compete on a national level. Like they can use that as a marketing ploy for acquiring new members. They can look at them and say, "Look guys, you know, yeah, you could join the gym across the street, but if you were to travel down and, you know, we've got 28 gyms in Texas, you're traveling down to the coast in Texas, we got four gyms over there, if you drop in, they'll get a discount. Does that gym give you that same flexibility? So, you know, that was, you know, part of how we looked at it and how we wanted to start it. And then it's, it's almost been more of like a guerrilla campaign of how we've actually grown it. So, you know, a lot of what we do and, you know, me and my partners, I... We all, we have a passion for this and we enjoy it. Like it's a mix of the, all of us love the health and fitness space. We all love technology. And then, you know, so it, it all matches of what we really enjoy doing. So we're very responsive, everything we do and everything we build, because a a bunch of us actually came from being gym owners too, is in one form of another that we look at it of can we make this easier for you? Can this be a product and a process that is just sits on the background does what it's supposed to do and it's probably one of the few services that you pay for that you can actually see a true return on your investment. You can see that this is bringing more money into your um, fitness facility. So it, it makes the conversation pretty easy about how we go about that. and then you know because everything does work and we keep it simple and the system just it does what it's supposed to, a lot of our gym owners are our biggest advocates. like every gym owner that comes in, like every other one is now told one of their other gym owner friends that we're doing this, you know, we're making X off what we've paid these guys. We, you know, we we paid back everything we did for the install in the first four months and now we're making additional money. You need to go check this out. So a lot of our growth was, you know, just from gym owner to gym owner referrals. And, you know, we started in North Carolina and then we went from North Carolina to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to California and I think before we we still actually don't even have a gym that uses our service in South Carolina, um, which is kind of funny. To hell's me. That,
0: hell's that? <laughs> I don't know.
1: We we've tried. We've talked to a few. Just it, it's never worked out. But we've got like fourteen or fifteen in Virginia. Um, but before you know, we even hit you know twenty of the 50, you know forty eight continental United States or states in the USA. We were jumping over to Canada, then we jumped over to Australia, we jumped over to the UK and to Germany, we had a, a gym right before um, COVID that was in Carousel, but they didn't, they didn't make it through COVID. So, you know, that COVID wiped, a, you know, about 20, I think about 28 gyms off the map just for us. So, I mean, I can only imagine how many gyms really had to shut down because of that. You know, you
0: mentioned when you started that it was you, you were using key cards, mm-hmm. and I guess at some point there was a transition to an app. Is that kind of like how when you stay in a Hilton, when you get a digital key, and your your app will be your your access point into the into the building?
1: Exactly. And and like I said, we started that with my gym, and then it, the decision was immediate that we'd already started working on the app. So when we basically started selling this to other people. The app was there. Nobody else really got key cards or got key card readers. Um, and, and it actually has worked out really well in our favor because part of the underwriting, and this, this was some of our original conversations when we were talking to insurance providers, is most 24-hour gyms, they want you to have 911 devices. And typically, they want that 911 device to be within hand, you know, somewhere close around the proximity of the body. So their their default is, I want you to wear a lanyard. So you know when you start to think about Olympic lifting or you know yeah. a lot of a lot you know pull ups and a lot of the things that you might be doing in in the functional fitness space, having something tied around your necks probably not a great idea. No. So um, we got around that and we made changes to our app so that there is an emergency call button inside of the app. And you know the, the insurance providers were really you know happy about it because. The way that we work is based off your GPS, so it's not NFC. Like It's not just the devices near it. We use the geolocation of your device, which basically means that we know you've got a known good working cell phone. So if you've got a known good working cell phone, there's always something nearby you in the gym, and the rules are always like keep your phone near you so that if you do have an emergency, you can use your phone to call out.
0: Yeah, most people don't need to. That would be a rule to uh, have your your phone near you at the gym with uh, kind of kind of the way uh, things have been going. But
1: no, if there's not a video on TikTok or Instagram, I don't think the workout happened anymore.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, so when you deal with the app, I know you're a, you're a tech guy, and then that's kind of a lot of your background. Did you did you create your own app, or did you have to outsource that part of it?
1: No, so actually um, I've done all of the design work, and then two of my partners are software developers by trade. So we've done everything in-house um, other than some of the marketing graphics. Like, you know, the marketing and graphics side, I tell everybody, like, I'm a – you know, paint shop novice. I can, you know, throw some stuff in different places and give you an idea of what I want it to look like. But if you want it to look pretty, I'm not your person. So we actually use a firm here in town that's helped us a lot with, you know, graphics on pages and things like that to make sure the app's functioning and, you know, looks well. But all the function, the technological aspects behind it, it's all our team.
0: And and I get how you you know you said started Fayetteville and Goldsboro and I guess kind of neighboring communities where people would come by and and I guess it began to grow on a word of mouth basis but. What was it that got it to where you're you're going to Australia and Canada and, and Curacao, I guess, before that didn't work out?
1: Uh, the, so, really, it's been that the there's a large Facebook groups of, you know, facility owners. So, some may be under the CrossFit banner. Some may just be, you know, fitness-related, you know, owners and coach groups. And, you know, those questions come up of, you know, hey, I want to offer 24-7. You know, I'm thinking about going to Home Depot and buying, you know, a, a – a, a doorknob that has a key, you know, key system on it. Does What is, what do people think? And, you know, just because of, you know, the, how we integrate. So, you know, when, like we said, we want to keep this simple. So, we've We've done a big push on every major gym management platform that's out there. We integrate in with it. So when you're managing your classes, your workout, your members, your billing, all of those different aspects, they basically click a couple of flags in those systems and they generate access into our app at this point. So they don't have to manage it in two places. They don't have to worry about a key code that's now being shared by seventeen people. Like they know that this is the app, you know, their people are getting pushed to that app, and if they don't pay for their bill, we get a notification and it shuts their access down in the app. So that makes it really easy. And then, you know, so all of the gym owners that have partnered with us, when they see those conversations, you know, you'll have some people and they're like, yeah, do it yourself. It's cheap, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we'll have our gym owners jump in and We've got quite a few of them that were do-it-yourself people, and then their stuff broke. They couldn't. We had a gym call us maybe three or four months ago, and they're like, "Hey, I can't issue any key cards. Like the system's locked up. I can't get in it. How fast can you switch it out?" So, you know, they all jump in now because of just the level of service they get with us. And they're like, "No, like, yes, you could do this with your by yourself, but go over there and talk to these guys. And what little bit you pay them um, per month." They warranty everything. If you have an issue, you call them. They get people out there to fix it. You never worry about it again. So, you know, just that level of service, like we kind of call it, it's like access control as a service and a very concierge and white glove um, feel to it that it just makes it simple. And, you know, like we said with gym owners, like they're looking for the path of least resistance and making it simple for them. So, as long as this thing works and they never have to worry about it, they're happy. It's in the background they can go concentrate on all the other things that they're trying to figure out in their business.
0: So did you figure out when you started doing this with gyms and it took off, um, what was the point when you you kind of found that the, the, there was a need for other types of businesses other than the fitness industry?
1: Well, I mean, you know, access control is a, a large thing in lots of businesses. I mean, it's not a new or a novel concept. I think the, more of the novel concept is the level of service that we provide. Um, and we, we turned away business because, you know, in the beginning – this was our passion project. Like hybrid athlete was a very specific thing catered to a very specific market and we weren't willing to dilute what we were trying to do there. So in the start of 2021, we did launch another brand called Facility. So that people that were looking for that same level of service and some of the features and functionality, but without the drop-ins, without the actual network, that we could provide service to them. And you know, we've we've actually since we've launched that um, just in June, we've got a, a church on it, we've got a Pilates studio. Um, and we've talked to a few other like small businesses, so we'll, we'll never probably grow to compete with the large competitors, but in that, in that space where people are looking for a different level of service and warranty, we'll probably pick up some business just because there, a lot of them have come from, hey, I'm a member of this gym, I've used the hybrid app, I really want this at my business, can you help me?
0: And does it relate to security? Because I was thinking, you know, if you tied that into your security system, that would be something that would be good. And you see a lot of it with people that kind of the, that that's the way they've shifted away from deadbolts mm-hmm. or well, I guess it, there's a deadbolt behind it. But, but away from, I guess, keys to having keyless entry um, through their through their phones or through or th- through clickers or their various devices, Um Are you set up for that where you could just say, like, look, you're not going to have locks anymore or you're not going to have keys. This is is the way you're going to get in and out of your business.
1: Well, and that's where, like, the church came into play. They had so many people that they were giving keys out to. As soon as somebody left, they were like they needed to rekey everything. They needed to hand keys back out. So an access control system for them, they're not necessarily looking for 24-7 access, but they're looking for an easier way to maintain control on access. Yeah. So, you know, in those situations the the systems can be hooked up that if the alarm's armed that it auto un, it auto alerts the alarm system to deactivate. You know, where the gray space is is like when that happens like how long do you give it before it reactivates? Cuz you you know in the gym space most of our gym owners they don't really run the alarm systems anymore that much because you know, I might be in there for an hour, I might be in there for two hours, you know, you just never know. So you don't want the system constantly re-triggering and then getting false alarms that people are in there. But like in the church setting, you know, they were just really interested that I didn't want to have to be out there at four PM to unlock it for the band practice. So now, you know, so and so has access on the phone, I can see that yep, they just unlocked the door and, you know, they're in there.
0: Yeah, and I imagine the business context, you know, that's always one of the the kind of first steps of you got to let somebody go or if somebody quits, it's like, well, if there, if there's not a, if it's not on good terms, then, you know, you've got keys out there floating and then you got to um, rekey the property and distribute that amongst everybody. And, and so it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult problem. So I guess I could, I could see where that would be pretty helpful where you don't have to deal with that. One of the concerns I think there'd be out there, and I'm sure you've got a workaround for it is um, it seemed like there'd be a fear that, well, what if my what if the you know the the technology failing right and and how, I, how do you deal with that like as far as you know the, the, maybe a problem with the phone or a problem with the reader how does that
1: well, I mean, so the you know we've built in as much as we can. Um, you know, if the system goes offline because the internet or power's out, the app will start alerting the whoever's the, the administrators on the account. Um, if the door gets pulled and you know broken, you know we have contacts that'll let us know that hey, this wasn't an actual access event, but somebody just pulled it open. A little bit of an issue there is a lot of the places like they want it open during the day so that people can free pass through. So like what's legitimate versus illegitimate, you know, use of that time frame. Um, and you know, the the good thing about with what we're doing is it's all commercial grade. So you're not going to Home Depot and buying the shillage, you know, keypad. Like you're we're legitimately coming in with commercial grade hardware and installing that. Um there's even a section of hardware which are called maglock, which are the locks that sit over top of the doors And we try to avoid those as much as we can because they're great and they work, but they're in the security world, there's a concept of fail um, secure and fail insecure. So, a mag lock, when the power goes out, that door's unlocked. So, you know, that's fail insecure. A fail fail secure lock is that when that door closes, if electricity doesn't go to it and tell the actuator that it's okay to unlock, it stays locked. So, the only way to bypass it at that point is with a key. So you know there, there's that those different concepts. And you know again, like access control is not new. You're talking about a, a thing that's been around for so long. It's just how do, we, how do you effectively adapt it to all these different markets? And that's where our niche comes in really well is that we've got this big passion for the you know the, the fitness space. So we're making sure that everything we do is aligned inside of that niche where the larger players they're like they're more worried about how do I make it work in enterprise. You know how do I, you know, make this work in a company that's got fifteen hundred employees to make sure that it's sectioned off right? Not that you know, I'm ever going to worry about building an interface to Watify because I don't even know what Watify is, but I know what Office three sixty five and Google and Okta are, and that's where I'm going to spend my development dollars.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking Watify. I mean, that's kind of I guess the way I would describe it is maybe what. Uh, Management software for gyms. Like mm-hmm. I guess, so it's meant to to handle your billing and scheduling and things of that nature. exactly. And I guess you're not you're not synced into that. Or, we are. You know. So like
1: I said, we we interface with them. Um, it, I, there's a list of about ten of these different platforms that we interface with. Um, you know, just to make that process easier because that those things aren't, you know, they're not enterprise level. So the other systems aren't looking at how do I make this easier for them because they're they feel like it's too niche., it, you know, and that's the thing with development is, you, when you're doing development, you're kind of looking at what's the, my biggest return on my investment for these development dollars. And I've got all these different competing, you know, features and needs. And, I, you know, I've got my competitors now and they're over here doing, you know, NFC and, you know, video and fingerprints. So, you know, they're all hustling, just trying to keep up with each other that they're not looking at the smaller, more niche market saying, oh, how do we go play there? You know, yeah, we could go make some money, but, you know, we're three years into our development process and, you know. When we start thinking about how many small businesses there are in the United States alone, uh, you know, I don't remember what the number is. I think it's like 27 million or something like that. You start looking at gyms and there's 30,000. I'm not going to go dedicate a lot to that space up front.
0: Have you noticed any trends in the fitness industry that you think that technology is on the verge of taking us in the future or, or any areas where you're looking to maybe expand what you're doing to kind of get into uh, other, you know, kind of like, I guess, add on to what you're
1: doing? So, well, during COVID, I had an idea and if I didn't live in Wilmington, I, I think that I, I would have tried this, but um, it, I don't think it would work here, but it, it was almost, I was trying to, the name was almost going to be like the, uh, the fitness factory or something like that. And when you think about COVID, it was going to be a layout that was all private rooms. And, you know, when you think about what hybrid does, it, it could get me into a door you know, at the main facility, it would let me access a door inside the facility that maybe I've reserved. And then I would have all of the equipment I needed to do what I needed to do inside of there. And maybe I have an hour timer. And then when I walk out of that room, the room could auto um, desanitize itself. So, you know, now you've got like an industrial, just automated, you know, factory of kind of going through using the room walking out and leaving and and I think that at some point that like you'll start to see that if if things like covid or you know other pieces like of that start to drive people to where they really are concerned about larger classes and you know larger amounts of people you'll start to build these niches of how do I cordon this off and make it really just automated and, and feasible so that I don't have to have staff walking around 24 hours a day cleaning this equipment
0: yeah I mean because that's that's a certainly an inefficiency is having people and you know a lot of times the folks man, I'm sure they're nice people but you see them kind of going and they're they're you know a lot of times just kind of loafing around or or you know and, and it, it some people get upset they don't want people cleaning like on top of them when they're trying to work out um, but it's certainly an area where it's yeah, you know, it's expensive to employ people.
1: It is, and I, I'll tell you, like I, I've got the design because my wife was joking at me when I was. I, I just I got focused on it and fixated mm-hmm. for like a day or so. So I'm sitting there like in a Vizio style programming, laying it out, and the middle was going to be called the weight train. So do I need to trademark that now? Because it was going to be a conveyor belt that you pushed a button and then you know basically whatever weight or other equipment that wasn't in the room just kind of rode by and you just pulled it off the train.
0: Well, it sounds nice. I mean, you know, and, and, <laughs> and what, you don't have to worry about going to the gym and getting a staph infection or something like that you know it's it's you know it's going to be clean and then it sounds like just kind of an orderly thing because so i think that's what a lot of people like about the your nine round type things or or you know where it's like there's the structure of we're telling you to work out or, or we're, we're giving you ideas what to do to work out but then at the same time it's on your own time it's not like it, it's not like the, the old crossfit thing where it starts you know at the, at the top of the hour sharp
1: well, and I, you know, I'd say that that's been the biggest thing that you've seen during COVID with a lot of gym owners is there's been like a lot of gyms, you know, they just ran that garage, dirty, like hardcore kind of aspect. And the level of cleanliness now that goes into those places, I mean, they all used to mop the floor and like do some level of cleaning once or, you know, maybe once or twice a week. I mean, now you're talking about every single gym that you walk into, like every single station has got rolls of paper towels, they've got disinfectant, like they're putting it on their members and their staff of like, look. If you're not, you know, if you're more cautious, before you pick up that barbell, go wipe it down. Yeah. You know, when you get done with it, wipe it down for the next person. So I mean, that 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 to me has been the biggest thing that you've seen is just like the level of cleanliness and a lot of it comes with just personal accountability too, like, you know, don't be that person that sweats all over the entire gym and doesn't clean up after yourself. I mean, you know, there, there needs to be, you know, all of us have to kind of work together to to make this thing work.
0: Yeah, no, nobody likes that. Well, uh, we're going to take our last break of the day and we'll come back and we'll wrap up the gym discussion. Then we'll talk a little bit about FinTech. All righty. So Albert is is one of the uh, up and coming entrepreneurs in uh, in the southeastern North Carolina area, and I think was a recent recipient of the the Forty Under Forty awards from the Star News. And um, you know, I would say you know what you're doing is very innovative, and it's certainly filled in uh, an area that was needed and has helped a lot of businesses grow. Uh, one of the areas that you're also involved with or have worked in in the past, I say, was is one that. Wilmington's starting to become known for, which would be, you know, kind of the, the financial technologies or f- fintech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've just kind of seen a lot of these companies take off. And I don't even really even understand what they are, you know, or what they do. <laughs> but you, you, you see, like, you know, you've got your um, Encinos and, and your uh, Aperture. Yeah. Aperture. What, what,
1: what, what is this? What, what's going on? Um there's a, been a lot of dedication and a lot of people that have worked really hard to start to build that entrepreneur level in the fintech space or even just entrepreneurship. I mean, I can tell you like Jim Roberts of the Network for Entrepreneurs, you had the CIE with Diane Durant, and now they're looking for a replacement there. Um you've got Genesis Block that's just opening up. You have um the Live Oak family of businesses with Chip and you know everything that they've done and you know and Sina was a spinoff from there. Aperture's been, you know, something else. I think that incubated and came out of there. Um, Velocity started here in '94, and then you know mer- made it into a fintech. Um, it, it's just been, and it was interesting because you know I'm heavily involved with UNCW. I'm a UNCW grad for management information systems, so I sit on the advisory board for MIS, um, CS, and their business intelligence, and. You know, I've been to the, the Wittix conference. I mean, UNCW does so much, too, just in the community with the the Wittix conference, which is the Wilmington Technology Exchange. And the before COVID, they had made it up to 450 students and people inside of the Wilmington and surrounding communities that work in tech. So there's been lots and lots of, you know, just push to build the technological aspects of what's capable here. And then, you know, we, you hear about like Charleston, Charleston dedicated, um, I think it was in early 2000, they had eight or self designated tech companies and they, they put this big push and focus that Wilmington started a model called the Charleston, Charleston tech corridor. And after, I think it was seven years, they had grown from eight to 200 different tech company startups So, you know, once it starts to happen and I, you know, COVID's a perfect example, right? I mean, everything goes where now people can work remote. There's a lot more flexibility. The tech space is a very flexible position typically because, you know, you do a lot of things with offshore and onshore teams. So, you know, there just becomes this greater flexibility that now people can work in careers that they're passionate about, but they can choose uh, destinations where they want to live that meet the lifestyle they want to live. So, you know, and then, you know, we, Wilmington's just been very fortunate, too. Like, Encino became a unicorn. I mean, that, I mean, that's just a, a great story for, you know, the vision of what they were trying to do, and then they were able to capitalize it. I mean, you had player space that, you know, went out and got bought by a I mean, there's just lots of people that have grown and incubated. And then the really great thing is when you start to see that success and people start to move on, Then they start to look at other entrepreneur activities that they can do, which drives more innovation, more jobs, and more people interested in the area. Wilmington was actually ranked 97th in the world this year um, or last year of um, tech-enabled cities, like 97th in the world, third in the state, and we're still like the 12th largest city in the state now. Raleigh, Charlotte, were the only two that beat us, and then Wilmington.
0: Yeah. And I know... after the last census came out, we went from the ninth most populated county in the, in the state to 11th. Um, it, it does surprise me that we, we would have been 97th in the, in the country. No, in the world. In the, or the world. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's even, yeah, that's yeah. much more surprising. So when you, when you talk about f- FinTech or like, what what's an example of what is it though? Like what, what are, what are a lot of these local companies doing or what are examples of what they're doing? I'm sure they're into all kinds of things.
1: So, I mean, it, there's different levels of where FinTech plays. So, one side of Fintech is kind of like enablement for banks and credit unions. And that's where um Encino and Aperture and Velocity and some of the other players play. so they're they're building software and solutions to go help financial institutions be more effective and to get them over the hump of maybe the technological hurdles, because a lot of times financial institutions are running behind. Um, just because of regulations and you know all the things that they have on their plate, and they have these core banking systems that are huge monoliths. And I, I like to say that sometimes you're not, you're not really sure who owns their own data when you're dealing with the core providers. Yeah. Um, because they're just so hard to work with. So you know, where these fintech companies come into play is they make things easier and they make the consumer and the, the employee experiences better and more efficient. So when that starts to happen, that's where those play. But then the other side of fintech is now you have all these companies coming in that are basically competing against banks and credit unions. So like when you think of um, you know a lot of these startups for small business lending um, or you know personal lending like Sophie. So I mean there's all these you know fintech becomes this really large bubble of. You know, maybe two different things. One is, you know, enablement of traditional banks and credit unions. And then there's a whole other chain of people that are now trying to come in and compete against banks and credit unions.
0: And I imagine, you know, when you're talking about the the banks, they've got a lot of competing interests that you mentioned. Like, you know, I would imagine first and foremost is got to be security, right? Because you're dealing with people's personal financial information. And then on top of it, just the risk of, of, you know, squandering or losing, um, you know, the, funds with like I guess the all the wire fraud that's out there now and um, you yeah, know I guess there's other avenues where those kind of things can happen and then plus you know you've got the archaic systems and you got to kind of con- you kind of deal with all those competing interests and put together something that makes sense
1: well I mean I, I was the CIO at velocity for almost seven years and I'll tell you that was the most terrifying piece of the job of the person that's in you know control of all the information is how do you try to make sure that you're not the cause of a breach you know yeah. nobody wants to be that person and that you know has done something and compromised data, and there's just such sophisticated things that people are trying to do to get access to information.
0: So when you get, the, let's say, you get a warning that says, you know, your your email account has been compromised. And yeah, you know, a lot of people find out the, the you know the the hard way where it's their their friends have gotten random emails from them, and you know you you don't know what all's happened, but you'll see your email address is up out on the dark web or your you know your email address has been has been compromised. What are people doing with that information?
1: Uh, a lot of times they're using it to basically try to get into your get deeper, right? So you know if I can get, you know, this, these bits of information Which it's always that funny thing When people answer all those surveys on, you know, line And yeah. tell me your first date, your first car It's like, oh, cool You're just yeah. answering every single security question yeah. That's known to man <laughs> um, You know, so it, It's interesting when people do it But, I, I mean, you know, a lot of people You know, just They look at it as innocuous and fun Because of the avenue that it's coming through Yeah. Um, but, I mean, realistically People are trying to get in there To, to transfer your money You know, in the corporate sector Setting, you get lots of emails of you know from your CEO that's been spoofed saying hey I'm in this meeting I need you to 50, you know send a wire for fifty thousand dollars stat you know send me a you know reply back to this email for confirmation and you know I'll reply back so there's lots of ways that people are trying to do it to you know become fraudulent and you know the the average person's not aware you know doesn't think of like. Let me actually go open that email and see if that email address is actually
0: correct. Well, that's interesting. That, that you know, you brought that up about the, the the quizzes, which I always get annoyed when I see them. But I never really thought about, and you always wonder where they start. And I never really thought about somebody saying, "All right, I've got a couple pieces to this person's." Um, Puzzle or their information, so to speak. If I could just know, like, what's their pet's name, you know, or something, or you know, like, who's their first girlfriend, or where what's the where they like to go on vacation? You know, those are kind of a lot of your your typical uh, security password
1: questions. Well, and there was uh, I don't remember what the app was, but there was an app that basically was everybody was uploading pictures and it was aging themselves, but they had to like exposed their entire Facebook profile to that thing. So they were basically giving somebody that it ended up being like it looked nefarious of why they wanted to collect all that data. And then they were getting biometric data off of you too. Like all of your, here's 17 different pictures of me through life. So, you know, you just have to be very concerned and wary of like, where are these things going? Because, you know, there's a, a cool book called Life After Google. And one of the, the premises is if, if the if all the services are free, then you're the product. Yeah. So, you know, they're doing something with your data. You just don't know what it is because nobody reads the terms and conditions because if you ever did, you'd never sign up for anything.
0: No. yeah. You have no rights. Um, you can't sue them. If they incur any expense because of you, you're meant to indemnify them and pay for their attorney's fees, and um, they can revoke any time they want. Um Even if it causes you expense, you know, (laughs) like those are the highlights, you know, now there's, there's a lot of, yeah, Those are the cliff notes and, you know, attorneys are very, you know, you you give attorneys, um, let them turn the clock on and let them shrink the font and say, all right, we need, we need about four pages of CYA at two point font. Yep. I got it. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. That's, that's, uh, that's, you know, there's a lot of folks in my profession that, uh can make that happen and you know good for them and you know and, and it's like it's it's a trade-off you can you can go off the grid if you want and i think you know there's certain things you know technology's made our lives a lot better and there's a lot of things that where it's where it's great you know i mean i can live without knowing um you, you know what uh disney character i'm uh, I, I most resemble or, or, or you like. don't want
1: to cartoon yourself
0: no no never done that
1: but uh it, so. it's an interesting conversation in our house all the time and especially we have teenagers so you know, you're, you're starting to read a lot of studies about, like, the mental impacts that it has on children from a, a cyberbullying and, you know, a cognitive development stance on where these social platforms are. And, you know, it, it, it in a lot of ways, it feels like as great as social media can be, there's so much toxicity out there of what people will say on there that they would never say in just common decorum that, you know, it becomes more toxic than it is beneficial at this point. And then you know you have got this shift in the United States which is really going to be interesting you know and this is something you can talk about on one of your other podcasts but like i think this, the the numbers now up to like 55 or 60% of the population want a government bureau to deal with anti-information. Yeah. So like you know where is that all going to lead well, to it's it's going to be really interesting.
0: I don't know if i want a a bureau for it but i certainly think that misinformation is. I, I don't think there's a. You know, you've got the right to free speech. Obviously, we, we enjoy that here, but you don't have the the right to um, public to to publish false information. Right. And I think where one of the things that I think is going to be developed and kind of a trend I see upcoming is just the uh, the um, online anonymity. You know, and that's kind of one of the things. And it was interesting with the, you know, the, the, some of those Q documentaries that they were showing about, uh, like 8chan and some of the stuff, like that being the whole point. We want to be able to speak anonymously. Um, you know, that, that's where I kind of think that, um, that the problems lies, that if you're willing to go on the record with it and you published it, then then you deal with the consequences. But I guess with technology, it makes it to where it's so easy to shield yourself. Right. And you have – but I think that's
1: – I know we just tailored off into a weird bird yeah. hole, but well, yeah. With, you know. <laughs>
0: with, with eight seconds left, so maybe, maybe we get you back another day and talk about uh, some Internet security. But I appreciate you coming on, and congrats for all your great work. Appreciate it, Justin.